بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا تھرٹیتھ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر الحمد للہ ویو کمپلیٹڈ دا سکس ویک دا فورٹی سیکنڈ نائٹ دا وی گوئنگ تھرو دا ایگزلٹیڈ and their life of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu. And I've reached the section where I'm mentioning a brief bio on a few of his famous students. And I mentioned a few facts and figures with regards to Fabid al-Bunani, rahmatullahi, who served him for 40 years. And Hazrat Anas would have a great love and affection for this noble student. So Thabit al-Bunani, he relates, it used to be said, there is no one who remembers death a lot, but then it is seen in his actions. There is no one who remembers death a lot, but then it is seen in his actions. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 146 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa who settled in Basra and the Tabi'un. So here, Thabit, he's mentioning uh, a saint, and he's mentioning the virtue of remembering death. Because those who remember death often, because you will notice the effect of it in their deeds. So what he was simply saying is that remembering death has a most profound impact upon correcting your life. I gearing towards the next. And this is why in the famous report, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, remember often the terminator of pleasures. This is in Nasai. So why would the Prophet say remember often? So here maybe Thabit al-Bunani was explaining that it has a profound impact upon the individual. But conversely, if you remember death infrequently, then obviously your gauge would go off and you would start gaining towards either worldly life. Hamad ibn Salama, rahmatullah he said, Thabit al-Bunani, rahmatullah he used to recite the following verse in Surah Al-Qahf, Surah 18, verse 37. Audhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. أَكَفَرْذَ بِالَّذِي خَلَقَكَ مِن تُرَابٍ ثُمَّ مِن نُطْفَاءٍ Do you reject him who created you from dust, then from a drop of sperm? Thabit was reciting this when he was offering tahajjud, and he was weeping and constantly repeating it. This again is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 146 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who settled in Basra and the Tabi'i. So here, notice that many of the Salaf, they would recite just one verse and they'd be so lost in the verse that most of the night would pass. So this isn't even a full verse. This is part of a verse, Surah 18, verse 37. What does Allah, the Almighty and Glorious say? Do you reject Him who created you from dust and then from a drop of sperm? He was offering this in Tahajjit 
reciting this in tahajjud and he was weeping constantly was reciting it so the question is the verse seems to be addressed to the unbelievers so what is this verse going to do with thabit rahmatullah so maybe he was weeping ai for the misguidance of these souls or whatever the case he was greatly moved and of course the reality is just that how can you reject the one who created you from dust and then from a drop of sperm <coughs> and like i mentioned many times thabit al-munani rahmatullah alayh he loved the deed of salat and he actually would make a very strange dua that he would be allowed to offer salat in his grave so why was he making that dua because there's a report and the hadith is in abu ya'la and it's a sahih hadith mutawatir the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the prophets alay salatu wassalam they are alive in their graves and they are praying so in this mutawatir report our belief is the prophets are praying in their graves so of all the deeds why is that mentioned because this shows that this deed is very dear to the prophets alay salatu wassalam so maybe on that Thief, Thabit al Bunani, rahmatullah alayhi, wanted to have that honor, so he's making a du'a, and he said, "If you've allowed anybody apart from the prophets to pray in their grave, allow me to pray." And what happened? To cut a long narrative short, he was found praying in his grave. Somebody had left his ring when they buried the respected soul, and when they removed the brick of the lahad, he was praying in his grave. This is in Ahmad in his Zuhd. So note his love for salat was so intense that even when he walked past the masjid he would offer two rakats and even now he's probably praying in his grave This noble man rahmatullah alayhi he passed away in the year 127 AH thus around 37 years after sayyidina anas radiyallahu may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and forgive us all for his honorable sake amen So note if you look at the students of the companions that also shows the greatness of the companions because they were molded by the companions of the prophet sallallahu alaihi so let's turn to another famous student of anas whose name is muhammad ibn sirin rahmatullah alayhi another famous student of sayyidina anas radiyallahu was the illustrious muhammad ibn sirin his father sirin rahmatullah alayhi was the freed servant of anas radiyallahu whilst his mother safia rahmatullah alayha was the freed maid servant of no other than abu bakr siddiq radiyallahu so what's very interesting his mother and father were the servants of companions so his father sirin was the freed slave of anas so anas he fell under his lot and he freed him His mother Muhammad ibn Sirin's mother was Safia she was the freed female slave of Abu Bakr Siddiq so note the mother and father were in the household of the companions this noble man like so many other elite souls was unjustly imprisoned Imam Nawawi rahmatullah alayhi in his Tahzibul Asma volume 1 page 83 it mentions during his imprisonment the jail warden offered him permission to go home at night and come back in the morning every day to which he replied by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i shall not aid in being mistrustful to the sultan so look how strange which warden 
would ask a prisoner, go home. The jail opens, go home and then come back tomorrow. So what does that tell you? The warden had complete trust in him. Because obviously if you let a prisoner go, he's not coming back. Secondly, he knew he was innocent. Otherwise he wouldn't have done this. But what was absolutely mind-boggling is his response. He goes, I will not aid in being mistrustful to the Sultan, meaning I've been imprisoned, whether it's unjust or just. He goes, this is something against the authorities, because I will not be an aid to this. So what does that tell you? It tells you he was so fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was during his imprisonment that tragically his hallowed teacher, Sayyidina Anas, passed away. So Anas who was his, one of his teachers, and of course his father's, who freed his father, uh, his servant, he passed away whilst Muhammad was in prison. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu's love for him can be gauged from the fact he had left in his will his body should be bathed by no other than Muhammad ibn Siri. So think about that. Of all of the students, he wanted him to wash his body. In Abu Nu'aym al-Hilya, volume 2, page 267, it mentions, the people came to him and mentioned the will. He replied, but I am a prisoner. They responded, we have obtained permission from the Sultan. He replied, I was not imprisoned due to the Sultan, but the man whose right I have to pay for. Hence the people got permission of that man, and only then did Muhammad ibn Sirin rahmatullahi gave birth to Sayyidina Anas. So even you would have thought now he's in a leaf because Anas has passed away, his teacher, and he wants in his will to wash his body. He still didn't want to leave. He goes, Sultan, because not him, because the one who's right I've taken, because go to him. So the man, they went to him and he goes, yes, of course he can leave. And then he got permission and only then he bathed Anas. So now what's interesting. Subhanallah. Thus note the similarity between this most noble man and the Holy Prophet Yusuf. Hence it comes as no surprise that Muhammad ibn Sirin was also to become a leading authority on the interpretation of dreams. So there's a very famous work. It's actually called Muhammad ibn Sirin's Interpretation of Dreams. And then people ask silly questions because which scholar, who scholar, which scholar is this? And then their response is, why are you saying scholar? Because people are so used to books written by scholars. But Muhammad ibn Sirin, he was one of the experts in this field. Question, where did he get that knowledge from? Because interesting. So obviously Anas must have been very instrumental. Because who did Anas radiallahu see every night or most nights in his dream? The Prophet said Allah is. So obviously it seems to indicate he's learned it from Anas radiallahu. And look at the similarity. Yusuf was in prison, innocent. Spent seven, eight years in prison. So was Muhammad ibn Sirin. It's like those are the people who get interpret, interpretation of dreams. Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah said about rahmatullahi in Minhaj sunnah volume 3 page 86. Muhammad ibn Sirin is the most cautious person in discourses and his mursal are the most reliable of mursal. So let's look at this. 
So Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, he was known for his strictness in accepting hadiths. He was known for his, you know, very, you know, he was very strict in terms of how high the level of authenticity must be. So in his work, Minhaj al-Sunnah, he said, this man, Muhammad ibn Sirin, because he had great taqwa. And even if he doesn't mention the Sahaba, it is the most reliable report. Why? Because if a tabi'een mentions directly from the Prophet he is left a Sahaba. So that report is a mursal, is weak. <laughs> because where did the tabi'een get it from? But Ibn Taymiyyah seemed to make an exception here. <laughs> because Muhammad ibn Sidin, because he's very reliable. <laughs> so that actually indicates his greatness. Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani said in Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb, volume 9, page 216, Muhammad ibn Sirin, he passed away in Basra in the year 110 AH, just around 20 years after Sayyidina Anas. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and forgive us all for his honorable sake. Ameen. So this is another famous student, Muhammad ibn Sirin. So Thabit al-Bunani, Muhammad ibn Sirin. So let's mention another famous student, Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi. Another famous student of Sayyidina Anas, was the illustrious Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi. This noble man was born towards the end of Umar, radiallahu's khalifat in the year 21 AH. His parents were slaves and his father's name was Yasar. So he was born uh, towards the end of Umar's Khalifat and again his parents were slaves. So Hafiz ibn Jawzi in Sifat al-Safwa volume 3 page 233 he mentions Hassan al-Basri's tahniq was done by Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab Indeed in another report it mentions that Umar radiallahu was impressed by the great beauty of the child. Thus he himself named him Hassan, beautiful. His mother used to serve the mother of the believers, Um Salama. When his mother was not present at home and he would cry out of hunger, Sayyidah Um Salama would thereupon breastfeed him to appease his hunger. Indeed, miraculously, milk would flow from her breast. And he used to drink it. People are those of the view that Hassan was eloquent in his speech through the blessings of her milk. Subhanallah. So let's look at some of these facts and figures. So Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi, again very famous humbly sheikh, he wrote a work called Sifat al-Safwa. And he mentions there that the tahniq of this great man was done by Umar. Tahniq is when before a child has anything to eat, uh, drink, uh, a, a righteous person takes some juice of the date and he rubs it on the palate of the child. So the first thing that entered Hassan al-Basri's blessed body was Umar's saliva. Yeah. He called him Hassan. That's one report. Who suckled him? So obviously his mother. But what's another miracle is that Um Salama, who obviously at the time the Prophet has passed away. She's the mother of the believers. Suddenly milk started to be produced in her blessed body again. Mm. So she realized that Allah Ta'ala wanted this milk to be given to Hassan. Mm. So she started suckling Hassan. Mm. 
And the scholars, they mentioned, because of this circling, he was very, very eloquent in his speech. So out of all the mothers of the believers, he was literally the mother of Hassan. She was literally the mother, the foster mother. Subhanallah, what then did one expect of a man whose saliva was mixed by the Amir al-Mu'mineen, and who had also consumed the priceless, miraculous milk of our dear and illustrious mother, and then later became a dedicated student of Anas ibn Malik. So think about it, he's covered by divine blessings. Those many endless words of wisdom would emanate from this most blessed man. To mention a few from a court note. So Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi, rahmatullah in his Adab al-Hasan al-Basri, was zuhuduhu wa mawaidhu, the beacon of Basra, page 134 of the English translation. Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullah he said, the true admonition is the one who admonishes people with his own action, not his speech. The true admonisher is the one who admonishes people with his own action, not his speech. So think about that. He said, if you warn people through speech, he goes, no problem. But the true warner is the one who warns people through his actions. Now think about that. So what was he highlighting there? He himself said, I saw people who were not impressed by speech. So he's explaining himself. He's saying that that doesn't do anything because they were impressed by action. So when they saw somebody doing something, that would impress them. And as the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. Unfortunately, now people listen to words. Hassan al-Basri would also say, Rahmatullah O son of Adam, alayhi salatu wasalam, you have words and deeds. Thus your deeds are worthier than your words. You have a state of secrecy and publicity. Thus your state of secrecy is worthier than your state of publicity. And you have this immediate life and the afterlife. Thus your afterlife is worthier than your immediate one. Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Adab al-Hasan al-Basri wa zuhuduhu wa muwa'ith, which 144 of the English translation. So look how beautifully he's breaking it down because that was the eloquence he was blessed with. Words and deeds. He goes, what needs to be more beautiful are your, word, uh, are your deeds. Your deeds should be more beautiful than your words. Your secret and your public deeds. Your secret deeds should be more beautiful than your public deeds. He goes, your worldly life and the next. Your next life should be more beautiful than this. The tragedy, people are impressed by speech. People are more pious in public. And people have chose this dunya over the next. So what would Hassan al-Basri think of that person? On another occasion, he said, the sign of a noble person is that he is quick in performing deeds. Whilst the sign of a loser is delaying and postponing. Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Adab al-Hasan al-Basri wa zuhduhu wa mawa'ith, page 33 of the English translation. So he said this is nobility. A person doesn't waste time. He gets on with it because he's a noble person. When you see a person delaying, he goes, he's a loser. 
I think about that. You know, we also call people losers because this guy's a loser. Why is he a loser? He goes, because he's not good with money. Because why is he a loser? Because he's crap at sport. Why is he a loser? He's let himself go. No problem. Who's the real loser? The person goes, I don't know, who is the real? He goes, the one who just delays. Yeah, inshallah, I will do Hajj when I'm 60. You're a loser. I've changed my life. Once everything's sorted in my world, you're a loser. When a person says, no, I'm not wasting time, he's noble. This majestic man would often address the youth in Ibn Abi Dunya in his Qisar Al-Amr, number 212. Ya ma'ashar al-shabab, iyaakum wa Sofa Af'al, Sofa Af'al. O assembly of youths, I warn you against delay. Foolishly saying, soon I am going to do this. Soon I am going to do this. So now what's interesting, Shabab means youth. And then Iyakum, that's a warning. He goes, I warn you from making this statement. Because don't ever say it. Sofa Af'al, Sofa Af'al. Soon I am going to do this, soon I am going to do this. If you're acquainted with the Quran, which verses does sound very similar to? Don't find it. So he's actually quoting Quran. He's using the Quranic dictionary. He goes, quick, he goes, do not say, I am going to do this. He goes, just do it. Similarly, had he addressed them. Ya ma'ashara shabab alikum bil fatlubuha. O assembly of youths, it is upon you to pursue the hereafter. Why? Fakathiran ra'ina mantalabal akhirata fa'adrakaha ma'adunya. We have often seen those who pursued the hereafter and reached it while still attaining the world. وَمَا رَعِينَ أَحَدًا طَلَبَ الدُّنْيَا فَأَدْرَكَ الْآخِرَةَ مَعَ الدُّنْيَا However, we have never seen someone pursue the world and still get the hereafter alongside the world. This is in Behaki in his Zuhud number 12. Let's look at this. He's talking to the youths. Why? Because the elders they need to be, you know, they, surely they've woke up by now. So he's talking to the youths. He goes, pursue the akhirat. And how many times do you tell that to youngsters? And they go, all right, uncle. That's not going to affect them. So he knew that. Then he gave us a sledgehammer. We have often seen those who pursued the hereafter. And they reached it. But guess what? They attained the world. So what's the secret? The secret he was getting across to the youths. But we're not youths, we're older anyway. We're bachari, right? We need to hear this. Somebody goes, I need to sort my world out before I sort my akhirat out. Stop, brother. What are you talking about? No, no, world first, then akhirat. No. That's what he's talking about. Because that's a satanic trick. He goes, pursue the akhirat, you will gain the world. Look how interesting. Then he said, we have never seen somebody pursue the world and still get the hereafter alongside the world. He goes, don't let shaitan deceive you. And what does Allah Ta'ala call shaitan in the Quran? He calls him the chief deceiver. But what's interesting, 
alongside with the chief deceiver, Allah Ta'ala says, do not let the life of this world deceive you. What did the Imam decide in the in the first rakat? Anybody know? Hafizah? Surah Luqman, right? And what was Luqman? In, sorry, in the second rakat, what does it say at the end of the surah? Do not let the life of this world deceive you. And do not let the chief deceiver deceive you. You need to be acquainted with the Quran, otherwise you're going to be yawning and groaning, right? So why does Allah Ta'ala mention that? Because what, how does the world deceive me? Because you make it your ambition. I'll sow my world, huh? then I'll sow my akhirat. He goes, no, you're going to lose your akhirat. Sow your akhirat, Allah Ta'ala will give you the world. And the proof in the pudding. Look at the people who've targeted the akhirat. Have they missed the world? They might have missed the world according to your standard. But when you actually speak to those people, they don't give a monkeys. They're happy. They're content. So they've got the world. But those who target the world, do they get the akhirat? Where are these people? These buffoons. Right? So Hassan al-Basri told the youth, he goes, don't fall for that. Those the hereafter must always be a priority in our lives. Otherwise, we will have no one but ourselves to blame. The great Hassan al-Basri, he said, Rahmatullah, the human rotates between three states. Because he's, he's always like a pinball. He's going from these three states. A coming adversity, a passing blessing, and fatal death. <laughs> Recorded by Hafiz ibn al-Jawzi in his Adab al-Hasan al-Basri wa Zuhudu wal-Mawaith the beginning of Basra, page 57 of the English translation. So what was he saying, the great Hassan al-Basri? He goes, this is your life. You're always at one of these three posts. You're waiting for the disaster. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, oh my God, Ya Allah, I know it's coming. Dunya de gham Right? Coming disaster. Or you're waiting for the blessing to leave you. <laughs> Look at the blessings that we've lost. Somebody says, I haven't lost any blessings. You've got grey hair, brother. What happened to your dark, dark black hair? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? My knees hurt. What's happened to your knees? <laughs> right? Why does it take you longer to recover? Blessings are going, passing. And then he goes, and death. <laughs> now, what's interesting, we are either living through a passing ease calamity and finally struck by death. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah, is this then what one's heart is attached to? You chose that over akhirat. As the saying goes, being knocked from pillar to post. The very interesting sayings that the English have. Where did they get that from? Being knocked from pillar to post. In Pushto, Takirikhuri. Because he's always getting white. That's the literal translation. Doesn't mean that. It means that he's just getting knocked about like a pimple. So really, what? Who have they taken that from? The salaf. So what he's saying is, the world is not a place for you to to relax. The world is a place for your poor to work. I think it was Hassan al Basri who said, Ali, He was actually seen smiling, and somebody goes, "Why are you smiling, or teacher?" And he goes, the people have put the garments of leisure on whilst they're working. So what did he mean by that? So imagine, somebody goes, right, you can tell when a person's going to work, you know, he's got some sort of uniform. 
if he goes into the steel work, you know, as he puts on those rough clothes and he's ready to go, you can tell oh, he's going to work. Mm-hmm. A person's a security guard, certain clothing he wears, goes to the office, wears a tie. Imagine you go to all those workplaces and he's got pajamas on. You go to imagine going to steel works, guys got pajamas on. Why are you in pajamas? Well, I'm just relaxing, Anna. This is not a place. You're working. You go to a security guard. Pajamas on. What are you doing? Security guard. You got pajamas on. Office. Pajamas on. And they're not working from home. Right? Office. So that is madness. So Hassan al-Basri goes, that's what people have done in the world. Because they're supposed to be working. They put pajamas on. Right? Why? Because they're lost. Dunya. They've chosen the dunya. One last report. Consider also the advice he wrote to the Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar bin Abdul Aziz. He said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, the worldly life is a place of movement and transition and not a place of residence and stability. Adam was sent to it as a punishment. So be wary of it. The happiest of the residents are those who ignore it. When examined by the intelligent and wise, he'll find that it humiliates whoever glorifies it and scatters whoever collects it. The resolute wise man is the one who lives in it like the one treating his wound. He endures the bitterness of the medicine for the wellness he seeks and the wretched consequence he fears. Recorded by Hafiz ibn al jawzi in his Adab al-Hasan al-Basri wa Zuhuduhu wa Mawa'ith, page 125-6 of the English translation. So he's now writing to the saintly Khalif, Umar bin Abdul Aziz. Now look how interesting. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the great grandson of Umar radiallahu, he loved the pious. So Hassan al-Basri, he would ask him, because please correspond with me. Look what advice he's given him. Each statement he's made, it's a lecture. So, looking at it very briefly, what's the first thing he tells the Amir al-Mumini? The worldly life is a place of movement, transition. It is not a place of residence. So, a person goes, what does that mean? Has anybody stayed on the earth? What did the Prophet say? Live in the world as if you are a traveler. Meaning, do not get into a mindset that you are here. We're never here. We're moving. In fact, when the companions would ask our beloved messenger, let us make a comfortable bedding for you, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet said, what have I got to do with this world? I'm like a person who's on a journey, who sits under the shade of a tree, and then he moves. So, Hassan al-Basri told Umm bin Abdul Aziz, this is not a place of residence. You're the Amir al-Mu'mini, don't be fooled by that. Because you're moving. And if you look at the entire creation, nothing is stationary. Allah created the world with an illusion. What's the illusion? Do we feel like we're moving? We're sitting here now in the masjid. Do we feel like we're moving? No. Ask any scientist, are we moving? He comes out with crazy figures. Yeah, you're traveling 126,000. Traveling through space and sun's moving. So why has Allah created this? Because he's teaching you something. Not only do you think you're not moving, I've created the world in that state. 
The only place you stop moving is when you enter paradise. Now you're resident. The second thing he said, Adam was sent to the world as a punishment. The happiest of the residents are those who ignore it. So those who are not bothered about the world because you notice they're the happiest of people. They haven't got worries. But once you get attached to it, it goes, you get miserable. How many times do you see people, you ask them politely, look, I don't see you in the masjid. And he goes, I'd love to come, but I've got a lot of things on my plate. So what you got in your plate? Mashed potatoes, right? You know, you put it on yourself. Then what did he say? When examined by the intelligent and wise, not the idiots, he'll find it humiliates whoever glorifies it. The intelligent ones work that out. If you are linked to dunya and you are veneration for it, it will humiliate you. And scatters whoever collects collects it. So now what does that mean? In Ahmad in his Zuhd, the Prophet said that Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He created the world. And He said, I have created you for the worst of my creation. Enslave him who serves you. And follow him who follows me. So Allah the Almighty Lord said three things about the world. First, he goes, you're, the, you're a pathetic creation. Be in love with it. Think about that. Mm. Then he said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, whoever loves you, you're the master. Mm. So the dog becomes the master. And whoever turns away from you, he goes, you serve him. So what did Hassan al-Basri say? The intelligent, they realize it humiliates whoever glorifies it and scatters whoever collects it. Mm. Then he said, the resolute wise man is the one who lives in it like the one treating his wound. So you go, person's got a wound, what do they do? Not in not now, have you know, sherbet drinks. <laughs> really painful. They clean out the wound, the guy's got a whole leather in his mouth. Mm. Sometimes they use fire to cauterize the wound. Fire, you know, they I go, what the hell are you doing? You're killing him. I have to do it. Otherwise, this may kill him. He goes, the resolute man is like that in the world. He endures the bitterness. He endures it because he's seeking health. Is this normal speech? If somebody goes, give me advice. Ah, Baba, ah, kana, ka. That's what we say, right? Hassan al-Basri somewhere else, Rahmatullahi. And when he saw Amir al-Mu'mineen, now what's interesting, why was he only talking about the world? When somebody goes, give me advice, he could have talked about Salat, he could have talked about family ties, he could have talked about, you know, this, that, and the other, the people under your care, he talked about the world. Why? Because that is the thing, if you saw that out, you saw your life out. If you haven't saw that out, Khuda Hafiz. Hassan al-Basri said, Rahmatullahi, in Behaki, in Shu'abul Iman, Love of the world is the head of all error. Love of the world is the root of all evil, the meaning. Some say it's from the Prophet, but definitely Hassan al-Basri said it. Rahmatullahi. You saw that out, and you sorted out all evil. This is why Hassan al-Basri was given this advice to Amir al-Mu'mineen. Rahmatullahi. So all I mentioned today was, I mentioned another two of the blessed students of Sayyidina Anas. One was Muhammad ibn Sirin. The great dream interpreter, famously known. 
and the one who was honored to watch the body of Sayyidina Anas when he passed away, radiyallahu. And then I mentioned a little bit about Hassan al-Basri, taken from his priceless words of wisdom. Another great student of Sayyidina Anas, radiyallahu. Are there any questions you want to ask?